Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a podcast from Minute Media. You are listening to the One Good Scare podcast with Natalie Zamora and Max Mello. Hey everyone, welcome back to a new episode of the One Good Scare podcast. I'm Natalie Zamora, joined by Max Mallow, and we have an exciting review for you guys. Back to doing some reviews, just because we had a lot of horror releases over the October time, spooky time, and of course it's the end of the year, so a lot to talk about. And today, we're going to be reviewing Last Night in Soho. This is one of our highly anticipated releases of the year. We've talked about it a few times before. Um, directed by Edgar Wright, and it's starring Thomas and McKenzie and Anya Taylor-Joy, two people we both really, really like. Yeah. Uh, hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving as well uh, for those celebrating. Hope you got some sick Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals. This is like the one year I haven't like sought out Cyber Monday or Black Friday yeah. deals, which is weird. Like, even last year during COVID, I was like, okay, I got to buy something <laughs> yeah, I feel like that was different because you couldn't go to the store. Right. I bought some things this weekend, but just because I needed to do Christmas shopping, but it wasn't really anything crazy. Yeah. Uh, and then also in horror-related news, I got to see Ice Night Kills over the weekend. Uh, awesome show, as always. Um, if anyone hasn't listened to them, go listen to them because <laughs> they're amazing. And go see them at a show. Um, and be safe. And, you know, all that stuff. Masks vaccines all that stuff um but yeah so last night in soho uh like natalie said one of our most anticipated movies of the year uh by far and it's interesting again this movie feels to me like army of the dead in the same vein of like Ooh. i i want to love this movie i want to love it you know that okay. like this movie is much better than army yeah. of the dead okay <laughs> but it's in that same kind of category for me where it's like the the director I love, you know, he directed my favorite movie of all time, which is Scott Pilgrim. Um, Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, you know, the list goes on and on. Anya Taylor-Joy, we both love. Thomas and McKenzie, I thought was amazing in Jojo Rabbit. And I think that was the first film that I saw her in. So mm-hmm. I was really excited to see her here. And there's some issues with it. Uh, and we'll definitely talk about it. But there's a lot that I like here that Edgar Wright did. And if you're an Edgar Wright fan, you know, great music, great cinematography, just the same type of Edgar Wright things that you would expect from one Mm -hmm. of his movies. There's just a couple of plot holes and they, uh, they all kind of rear their ugly head towards the latter half of the movie, which is where you probably shouldn't have plot holes. You know, that's where, (laughs) that's where the movie needs to be concise and, and whole. Um, Mm-hmm. But hole, that's WH, not whole plot hole. Um, <laughs> but yeah, overall, I enjoyed it. It was a good watch. Um, I think, you know, as we get into it and we review it, it's definitely a movie where if you start to think critically a little bit, it starts to fall in on itself mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, so, you know, we'll talk about that for sure. You know, Natalie and I, the point of reviewing things is to think critically. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, let's get into it. Um so, first off, how ex- how like scary did you expect this movie to be? Um, so I think it's interesting because the first teaser that came out made it look pretty scary, I thought. Like there was a lot of horror elements going on. Of course, it's a really short teaser, but I think they really heightened the horror elements in there. And then the second trailer, I actually it made me a little bit less excited. Yes, because we are seeing more and it was like it still looked good. But um, after that second trailer, I was like, okay, maybe this is just kind of a thriller, not actually horror after all. What did you think? Yeah, um, I would say throughout the first 
what is it? What's the runtime on this movie? And uh, 160 minutes. So I'd say like the first 50 minutes, I was definitely expecting it to be a little uh, more scary uh, mm-hmm. or scarier than it than it was. Um, the horror elements really don't pop up until the latter half of the movie mm-hmm. with those plot holes. But um, <laughs> some of the visuals that Edgar Wright does with the horror elements in this movie are phenomenal. Yeah. The cinematography in this movie uh, is amazing, as is the case with most of, if not all, of his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you're a fan of like quick cuts and, and fadeaways and all that type of stuff, the stuff that Edgar Wright does in his movies, then you're going to enjoy this movie. Um, mm-hmm. And the story overall that we follow um, with Eloise or Ellie, um, our main character played by Thomas and McKenzie, um, is uh, I think she does a great job at uh, this character arc. Um, mm-hmm. Some of the writing perhaps kind of gets lost a little bit. Yeah. But she's amazing in this movie, I think. I, she does a yeah. great job with um, most of the scenes and some of the, the, the character arcs that we'll talk about here. Um, so I really enjoyed her in this role. I hope she gets more um, you know, main protagonist roles in the future. Especially yeah. in the in the horrorverse realm area, because she's she's got the chop. She's great. Yeah, no, I agree. I loved her in this. I loved Ellie as a character, so I think that's what made it so enjoyable um, for many reasons. I did really enjoy it, but yeah, I think I really loved the premise of this, but I don't know if the execution, especially in the end, was really done the best way. But I love the premise, and so you know, if it kind of kept going the way that it was going just in I guess the beginning of the movie into the middle I think it would have been better I think it tries to do too much by the end but overall like you said Thomas and Mackenzie is really really good and I rooted for Ellie probably like the first scene which is important yeah her character has enough mysterious elements going on to it uh, to get you intrigued but also the fact that she's very relatable you can relate to her character um, being a, 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 a young person going to college and moving away from home um, in, in England. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's just another thing that Edgar Wright does, right? He does a great job of getting you immersed in the yeah. story and the universe, especially, mm-hmm. like, any film. Scott Pilgrim, Baby Driver, even though Baby Driver's not yeah. our favorite Edgar Wright film, um, you know. You're 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 put into this place. You're told what the rules are and, and how it works, and you fall in love with it. That's one of his strongest suits uh, mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we talked a lot about Thomas and McKenzie, but Anya Taylor Joy is a scene stealer. She yeah. is quickly becoming, if not already, like the face that I'm just like, cool. Whatever you're in, <laughs> I'm seeing it. Um, and, totally. she's do- and especially in horror, like she's so good in The Witch. She's really, really good in this, even though she's uh, her character um, is definitely more supporting to Eloise. Yeah. Um, but, you know, she's going to be in The Northman, which is the new Robert Eggers I film know. coming out. Um, she was amazing in The Queen's Gambit last year. So this is just another performance for her, despite some of the movie shortcomings towards the end. That is just like. Cool. Add it to the resume. Yep, you were great. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Smith, who everyone should know from Doctor Who uh, mm-hmm. and a god-awful Terminator movie. I don't know why I mentioned <laughs> that. Um, but he's great in this like limited role that he's in when it comes to Jack and this character that we'll explain. And then there are some you know, familiar faces that I think a lot of people might not pick up on and also some new faces. Um, like one in particular... Uh, in terms of a new face, uh, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, but Michael Ajao, um, who plays John, which is Ellie's love interest, he's awesome. Yeah. Um, he doesn't really take a prominent role until the end of the movie, but he, I like him a lot. I hope he's in more Thank movies. Um, I haven't seen him in much. Um, and then you've got Terrence Stamp, who's a, an OG of the OGs, and Diana Rigg, the late, great Diana Rigg, mm-hmm. who, if you're like, who's that? If you've seen Game of Thrones, you know who <laughs> she is. Um, yeah, like she's obviously not known for Game of Thrones. She's one of the most accomplished people in Hollywood ever. Um, and this film was, I believe, dedicated to her. 
Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. By Edgar Wright in the beginning of the film. And when it says for Diana, that is who he was alluding to. Um, so rest in peace to her. One of uh, one of the greats. Um, yeah, Elena Tyrell. Like, okay, cool. I, know. I had to say who she was. Like, just one of the best Game of Thrones scenes of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, she's like in very like Edgar Wright fashion. She's this character who maybe will play a role towards the end of the film. You don't know, mm-hmm. but you know we'll get into it. Uh, yeah. So this is your spoiler warning. If you haven't seen the yeah. movie, it is available to stream. Uh, via rent on Amazon Prime, I believe right now is twenty bucks. I paid the twenty bucks. I wasn't going to miss this movie. Um, <laughs> I paid probably twenty bucks to see it in theaters, so or close enough. <laughs> yeah, I'd missed the the the, the uh, theatrical run, uh, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, if you want to watch it, it's available on Amazon Prime, and then you want to come back and listen to our review, feel free to do that. But without further ado, let's get into our review of Last Night in Soho. Yeah. So like you said, with Edgar Wright, he's really good at creating these world worlds, right? So we open up and it definitely seems a little bit more lighthearted than I was imagining the movie to open up. But we get to meet Ellie, who is our protagonist. Um, she's living kind of um, in England, but not in a big city. She's living in kind of a, a rural area. Um, and right away, we learn that she's obsessed with fashion and she's obsessed with kind of everything to do with the 60s. So the music the style, everything like that. Um, and she wants to go to fashion school in London. But the only thing that's kind of keeping her is that her she lives with her grandma and her grandma's kind of worried. Like, are you sure you'd be able to handle that? Obviously, it's a big move for anyone, especially after the fact that her mom had lived there and was also a designer and passed away. So that's kind of the opening of getting to know these characters. We see that Ellie is very motivated, very driven, and very ambitious. And she goes for what she wants. She's kind of just like, I'm going. It doesn't matter. This is what I need to do. And she does. So that's awesome. It was pretty easy to fall in love with Ellie right off the bat. Yeah. And it's no surprise that an Edgar Wright character, a main character, loves music or is involved in music in some aspect. Um Obviously, Scott Pilgrim's in a band. Um, Miles or Baby from Baby Driver does nothing but listen to music pretty much mm-hmm. and drive away and drive getaway cars. <laughs> um, but yeah, I loved the vibe of it. It definitely mm-hmm. um, gives this unique element to Ellie's character living in a modern world and dealing with um, all the stress that goes on with it and you know all of the the anxieties that I think a lot of people have when going away to college uh, and especially moving far away from home. Um, And yeah, uh, I love that it's, it's on display uh, and it's explained and shown very quickly early on in the movie. Um, But, you know, we get this kind of supernatural element as well uh, to Ellie's character very early on with her mom passing away and living with her grandma and her grandma's is like the sweetest woman. I'm like, cool. Like I want her as my grandma. I love my grandma. Like, Grandma, if you're listening to this, Nana, I'm sorry. But, like, was, like uh, Ellie's grandma is great. Um, but, yeah, there's this supernatural element that they kind of allude to when it's like, are you still seeing her? And, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. what does that particularly mean? Um, but there's some shots shown of a woman uh, in a mirror that Ellie's able to see, which we assume and we're told uh, pretty early mm-hmm. on that it's her mother um, who passed away. And at this point, um, and I'm going to you know, bring up some points because my girlfriend and I had a huge discussion about this in the movie. Okay. Um, of, okay, does Ellie see ghosts mm-hmm. or is she traumatized by her mother's passing? Yeah. Um, and it's a really important point that's talked about throughout the whole course of the movie. But it gives you something very early on to kind of sink your teeth into. You're like, okay, cool. What is going to happen there? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And it seemed like her grandma, too, was just really worried about Ellie's mental health. And we don't know why. It's the beginning of the movie. But that's definitely something to to keep in the back of your head as you're watching that, you know, this isn't going to be a seamless transition for her. Yeah. Um, and for uh, have you finished the new Gossip Girl, the three episodes that came out? I didn't watch the ones from today, from uh, Thursday. Gotcha. I watched the ones from last week. So that was fresh in my mind um, from, you know, the new HBO Max Gossip Girl. Yeah. And um, 
it's fresh in my mind, but I can't remember the character's name. <laughs> Who's um, what's her, Julian's sister? Z, Zora. Zoya. Zoya, yeah. Um, and Zoya's whole like backstory that's revealed mm-hmm. with like the abuse that she received in school. So I was like, hmm, okay, maybe like I'll look out for something from that. Even though those are two completely different universes that are not connected <laughs> at all, but it was in my mind. Just always thinking about Gossip Girl. Yeah, it was just in my mind. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, the, the transition to her uh, moving out and going to school. Um, very early on, again, these mental health themes are kind of thrown um, thrown in when she's taking a, a, a taxi or a car uh, to mm-hmm. her new dorm room. And the driver is just being a obnoxious creep. Yeah. Just like she's like at first he's like. So what are you going? What are you in London for? And she's like, Oh, I'm going to fashion school and all these types of things. And he's like, Oh, are you a model? And she's mm-hmm. like, No, I'm no. designing the clothes. And he's like, You, yo, well, I'm a creep. And he's just saying some really disgusting things. Yeah. Um, that kind of set in this overall theme of like, she's mm-hmm. not, you know, she's far away from home now. She's in this big city, and the big city, even though she thinks she's ready for it, might mm-hmm. not be everything. Uh, that she's prepared for. Totally, yeah. And I think, too, right when she gets to school, we kind of figure out that um, she's more of an outcast. She likes, you know, designing her clothes and listening to music and maybe living more of a quieter life than her roommates do who are in school, looking to party, you know, going to the bars and everything. That is not Ellie's scene. And we can, just watching her, it's easy to relate to her just because she seems just just not she's not fitting in and just seeing it from her perspective like I kind of like got into like I just pictured myself in that situation and while I might want to go and party and everything just imagining being the outcast is just so hard and so heartbreaking especially when you don't know anyone there so it's kind of introduced pretty early on that she's not going to have friends at this place she's misunderstood and when you pair that with you're in a huge city and you don't know anyone, it's very, very frightening. Yeah. And I love that they continue to hammer this home like really early on too when she meets uh, her roommate and her uh, her dorm mates, mm-hmm. um, especially Joe Casta, mm-hmm. who is her roommate. And, you know, hammering home this idea that she she's an old soul. You know, she's not... She doesn't think mm-hmm. that she belongs in this time. She wishes she mm-hmm. was in the 60s. Um, mm-hmm. And Jocasta, who dubs herself Hurricane Jocasta, because when she comes <laughs> into the room, there's a hurricane going on. Um, you know, typical, like, college stuff. Like, being nice because it's the first person you meet, and then you meet, you know, quote-unquote, the cooler kids, and then you make mm-hmm. fun of your outcast roommate and all that type of stuff going on. Um, and there are some, ske- uh, some scenes scattered throughout with her in college that I think do a really good job at, you know, being uh, uh, relatable moments for a lot of people. Um, yeah. Definitely in college, you know, the, the the scare and the anxiety of going out and meeting new people and trying to fit in and all that type of stuff, uh, which I think mm-hmm. is done really, really well. But it's not like, it's not overly done where it's just like, okay, these people are bullies and they're just being really mean to her yeah. for, you know, dramatization. Yeah, I definitely agree. And then, of course, she gets to meet... John, who is actually a, a nice guy, um, like you said earlier, he becomes her love interest, and he's just nice to her right off the bat, and I feel like she's a little suspicious at first, because I would be as well, um, but he definitely presents himself as someone who maybe she can trust, it's someone that maybe she could go to if she ever needed a friend. Yep, and there's a funny thing with like a can of soda that she writes her yeah. name on in the fridge, and it's like... Okay, this is mine. Everyone's done that in college. They've all written their name on, on a piece of food so that nobody eats it or drinks it. Um, and he drinks her soda, and then he later gives her another one. It's like, aw, it, this is cute. It's yeah. two people who like each other. Um, but, yeah, the first night uh, in college isn't really Ellie's scene. Um, she definitely feels out of place, you know, hanging out by herself with everyone going around and partying and you know, people hitting on her uh, unwantingly, and just uh, Joe Casta bringing a boy home to their to their room, and yeah. she's just like in the corner on the bed with her headphones on, and is just like, "Oh my god, what is going on?" And yeah. Joe Casta again is this hurricane, <laughs> and he's just like, "Everybody, get out of my way." <laughs> um, but all this leads to a decision for Ellie 
uh, mm-hmm. to move out. She's like, you know what? I can't cut it here. I don't want to deal with this. Um, this is not what I expected my college experience to be like, and I don't want it to be distracting, um, which I like from like a character perspective because she's like, yeah. she makes a decision very early on to be like, yeah, this isn't for me. I'm out of here. Um, and she mm-hmm. she finds a place to to live um, into a bed sit, um, uh, which is owned by the elderly Miss Collins. And I love this interaction between the two of them because, you know, it gives off kind of the same vibes of like, um, okay, well, Ellie's grandmother is home and that's who she's grown up with. And now, mm-hmm. you know, she has this elderly woman, Miss Collins, who she's kind of looking at and being like, please, like, take me in. Like, I will be the best person ever. Like, yeah, I love the 60s and all that type of stuff. And, yeah. And hoping to find another figure like that in her life while she's in London attending school. Um, but this place that she moves into, uh, is the, the, the setting for basically everything that this movie is built upon. Um, and it's, uh, it's kind of malignant like with a lot of Mm -hmm. some of the transitions that go on here, which is really, really cool in the visuals. But I think Edgar Wright one ups James Wan in this kind of situation here. They were definitely weren't battling, but (laughs) For my own taste, I love yes. everything that they do with this, which we'll get into, because the visuals are stunning, the the, the transitions, the, the cinematography, uh, and the screenplay in particularly for all of these flashbacks, we'll call them for mm-hmm. now, um, are uh, they're they're all phenomenal. I love everything about this part of the movie. Yeah, I do too. And like you said, this is a huge, huge part of the movie, just these dreams and visions that Ellie's seeing and definitely my favorite part of the movie. Um, I think too, story-wise, because it is her dreams slash visions slash flashbacks, it can be a little bit like not as believable as reality just because we're seeing it through her lens, through another person's lens. So I was easy. I, it was easier for me to get on board with things that happen in these visions rather than things that happen specifically at the end of the movie, but we'll get there. Um, So let's take our first quick break and then we'll get into what Ellie sees in her dreams. So like we're talking about, Ellie starts having these dreams and if you've seen the trailer for this movie, you can kind of guess where we're going with this. So she starts having dreams that she's back in the 60s, um, not really hard to believe because she's obsessed with the 60s and she's obsessed with London in the 60s. So she goes back to the 60s and we kind of meet through Ellie this performer named Sandy who is played by Anya Taylor-Joy and she goes into a club and is looking for a job at the club and she's very right off the bat you can tell she's very serious and sophisticated and driven. She's like I'm not drinking I need to talk to the boss here and she's I, I mean I'm biased because I love Anya Taylor-Joy, but this character is just so intriguing right from the moment that you lay eyes on her. Agreed. The mystique and the the overall aura that mm-hmm. Anya Taylor-Joy gives off as Sandy um, is very intoxicating at the start, July. And it's mm-hmm. that's very um, Edgar Wright, you know? Mm-hmm. Their character, his characters are, um, you know, dramatized and, and elevated to this new level and that comes off in the portrayal of those characters. Look at Scott Pilgrim, right? Yeah. All of the evil exes are these crazy over-the-top characters. And mm-hmm. Sandy's not like that, but when Sandy's on the screen, Sandy commands your attention 100% and you're immediately uh, drawn to her story. And the relationship that develops here through these dream sequences between Ellie and Sandy is one of the best parts and one of my favorite parts of the movie mm-hmm. because, for one, you don't know how much of this is real, how much is this her just kind of hallucinating, more or less, mm-hmm. um, because this whole theme of, like, can she see ghosts or is it her own mental health? Is it just dream sequences? Um, you know, what have you. Um, because there are definitely musical elements to this. And the idea of, like, a dream sequence, big musical number is something that's prevalent in a lot of old musicals, like Singing Mm -hmm. in the Rain and stuff like that. Um, So, you know, you have to definitely be cautious with with what's going on immediately. But it's no wonder why 
uh, Ellie is drawn to Sandy, right? You know, mm-hmm. they're not only do they like look alike, and you know, we'll talk about how Ellie <laughs> wants to like model her look after Sandy. Yeah, um, but um, you know, she sympathizes with her immediately because that's where she wants to be in life. That's yeah, she, when she wishes she was born how she's you know she wishes she was that confident in life i think in some aspects yeah um but yeah this uh this whole scene with sandy walking into the cafe de paris and she just walks in and she's just she just owns the place like yeah absolutely you know, the rich snobs that are like oh what's your name baby and all and she's like i don't care what your name is and i'm not telling you what mine is like leave me alone i'm here to see the manager um mm-hmm. It's it's extremely badass very early on. Yeah, it's fantastic. And, yeah, it, it does, you know, it, we don't explicitly see Ellie say, like, you know, this is the confidence that I want. But I think it's made pretty clear just by, you know, how much of a presence Sandy has and how much Ellie wanted to move to London and kind of chase this dream. And although she's still in school and she's chasing the dream, you know, of course, there have been some hiccups for her because she feels like she doesn't fit in. And she definitely has a sense of living vicariously through Sandy. Like once she starts to have more dreams, it seems like she becomes like addicted to these dreams and this story that isn't hers, but maybe she wishes was hers. Yeah, it's a very good point. Um, and there's one as- like that one aspect that vicarious living that we'll talk about, mm-hmm. um, where it starts to have an effect on her real life, um, start to, to come through. But yeah. I, I really like how it's done here. Um, but yeah, so uh, she ends up uh, beginning a relationship uh, with the the manager of what we assume to be the, the big stars of the 60s mm-hmm. in London, um, who was played by Matt Smith. Um, and his name is Jack. Uh, and they immediately hit it off. And at first I'm like, okay, cool. I'm rooting for these two. Like Jack is yeah. like just this, this cool guy is in the bar, but no... No one that he's ever seen before is as cool to him as Sandy, right? Mm-hmm. It's like um, it's like Sandy and uh, Danny and Danny Zuko in Greece. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, you know he's willing to do whatever it takes to make Sandy uh, the star that she wants to become. It seems, mm-hmm. and Sandy's you know wants to do whatever it takes for her to become the big star. That's all she has set in her mind. She wants to make it here in London as a performer. Um, and yeah, that's the first big kind of dream that we have. And like, there's this awesome, like little bar fight scene that goes on in the cafe. Uh, that is like super cool. And I'm like immediately drawn to these characters. It's yeah. That it's, it's, uh, I think intoxicating is a good way to describe it. You're like locked on to these character arcs. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. And, and I think, too, it was right after the first dream that Ellie has of Sandy that we start to see these things translate into her real life. And it's confusing because you're thinking, OK, this is a dream. How is this actually happening in reality? And it's really great to see those blurred lines of is this actually happening? Was this history? Is this a vision? Hallucination? Like, we're just on there for the ride, same as Ellie, because she's shocked at what kind of happens next. And that is um, the next day she's designing a dress um, to look like the one Sandy was wearing in the dream. It was very, very pretty, this pink dress, very 60s. Um, And she has a hickey on her neck, which happened to Sandy in her dream last night. And, you know, Ellie's not going out. She went to bed at a reasonable hour and had this incredible dream and now woke up with this mark on her neck. And it's not subtle. Yeah. And this is where some of the holes start to come in. Yeah. Because it's not particularly explained what is going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, But they do things to translate them into the real world. And, you know, at first you're like, okay, cool. Is she connected to this past in some type of way through this supernatural room that she's living in? Or does she have the powers to do that? Um, You know, as we come to learn early on... um, they're they're pretty much just dream sequences, mm-hmm. um, but we don't know how they connect to the real world, and we'll come back to the hickey because the hickey is definitely a plot hole somewhere. Yeah, uh, very early on in the story. But um, early on, you don't know, right? It's like, okay, this will be explained somehow. Exactly, that's what your hope is. <laughs> yeah, 
Um, and then you said too, you talked about her room, which is I think one of the next dreams that um, Ellie has. So I think it's interesting, like even though these are dreams that we're seeing, so to us it's like, okay, this isn't really relevant to the plot. It does move the plot along because in another dream, um, Sandy has this really awesome audition at a club that Jack is able to set up, and of course she can sing, because why wouldn't she? Because she's perfect. She just Good nails it. She nails yeah. it. I love that that cover of Downtown. It's yes. awesome. I think it's a cover, but it's, yes. it's awesome. Yeah, absolutely flawless. Um, but we find out that Ellie was, or sorry, Sandy was actually staying in the room that Ellie is currently staying in. So another connection, another like, ooh, spooky, what's going to happen? Um, and I like how that was revealed pretty early on. Yeah, and my immediate thought is, okay, somehow Ellie has a connection to the past and the supernatural mm-hmm. and... You know, my brain even went as far to think, like, is she reborn Yeah. from Sandy's? Like, is she Sandy's soul in another body? Like, my thoughts were going all over the place at this point in the movie. <laughs> and I wasn't, you know, dismissing anything. But this is where uh, the transformation kind of really starts to happen. Um, yeah. Ellie dyes her hair blonde to reflect that of Sandy's. Um, and, you know, she starts to wear similar clothes. And like you mentioned, she designs the dress that Sandy wore in the first time. And this is where I think that connection comes with her wanting to be Sandy um, mm-hmm. because she sees that people compliment her new looks. Her teacher uh, compliments her, her fashion styling with the dress. So I think that's where some of that like immediate like, oh, okay, I want to be her. Yeah. T- the type of element uh, comes into her character arc. Um, but... Yeah, you know, she definitely still deals with a lot of the the stress that goes on um, with her being away from home and, and in college. You know, she gets a job at a at a pub, um, an Irish pub, um, which is uh, a fun little side plot for her um, as she's yeah. trying to make it in the big world. Um, but as that's kind of going on, we're introduced to this other character named Jack, um, and Jack, who's played by Terrence Stamp. Uh, or, um, or is Lindsay. Lindsay, sorry, yeah, yeah. Lindsay. Jack is Matt Smith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Lindsay, who, uh, is start, again, gives off a little bit of a creepy vibe. Creepy, yes. Um, looking over the women, but he, uh, as he says, he looks over the women of all the town and stuff like that. And I'm like, that's creepy as hell. But he kind of makes, like, a distinction early on that it's like, I'm not like the creepy driver who drove you before. And, you know, Ellie kind of gets into a little bit of a, an argument with him uh, in in the middle of town. Um, but, you know, immediately early on, I was like, okay, that is Jack in modern mm-hmm. day. Um, yeah. I tried to make that Ellie connection. Too. Yeah. Uh, and it becomes a huge plot point of the rest of the movie. Um, but, yeah, as this starts to happen and, you know, she gets she her life seems to take a, a turn for the better. Uh, mm-hmm. in the real world um, and as that is happening El- uh, Sandy's life starts to take a turn for the worse uh, yeah. in the dream world because uh, what she thought would happen to her uh, alongside Jack um, you know, turns out to be the complete opposite after this big audition um, because Jack, surprise, surprise actually is a big old POS yeah. um, but like up until that point, I have to, the dialogue between Sandy and Jack was like spot on. Mm-hmm. Like their character writing up until uh, the big turn, like in terms of like them being good people and like matchmaking right. heaven and all that type of stuff, was again intoxicating. Like they're both fantastic at delivering their lines to each other, and that on-screen chemistry was a hundred percent there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, now I really want to listen to that downtown. <laughs> downtown, <song>. yeah. <laughs> I know she's she's amazing, but yeah, like you said, it gets to get really really sad. Um, it turns out that we're seeing through Ellie's dreams that Sandy, even though she had the great audition, she doesn't make it big, and Jack pretty much turns into her pimp and is just arranging her to meet with some of the businessmen that he works with and different people that come to the club, and basically just prostituting her out and in hopes to you know get her popular or big or whatever it is. And it's really, really sad because it's such a huge 
difference from the first time we see Sandy to now. She seems like her hopes and dreams are robbed, and she it looks extremely depressed, rightfully so. Yeah, <clears throat> and I love the editing that goes on in some of these scenes because mm-hmm. we started to see from Ellie's perspective that she sympathizes a lot with Sandy yeah. and wants to help her and get her away from these awful men uh, that Jack is pimping her out to, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um like some of the shots with her in the mirror like sitting next to her and like we don't it's again it's very like ambiguous if she's yeah. like in sandy's body or if she's just a like a fly on the wall spectating as everything is going on which mm-hmm. i love like i'm i'm drawn to all of this in the dream sequence yeah um but yeah you've definitely start to feel really bad uh for sandy's character as Jack is like, you got to do this. Like, I thought you wanted to be a star. Like, this yeah. is what you got to do. You got to sleep with men, and it's um, it's uh, it's it's really sad uh, to watch this this character start to meet her demise, more or less. Um, yeah. But yeah, again, these the, the the dream sequences are just intoxicating. My favorite one, I think, after the the big twist mm-hmm. with Jack's character, is when she's sitting in the booth and she's telling the men different names. Oh yes. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. and Ellie's sitting through the mirror watching. Um, Mm -hmm. and this man comes up and she immediately denounces that he's a cop and she figures that out. She's like, you're Mm -hmm. a cop. He's like, yeah, I'm just trying to look out for you, do all this type of stuff. And I'm like, okay, cool. Maybe he's going to help her. Um, yeah, but not really. Um, and yeah, it's just really, really sad. Though, the parallel here between what's going on in uh, in Sandy's dream sequences is happening in Ellie's mm-hmm. real life as well, which keeps a great, easy parallel for us to follow as viewers. Yeah, 100%. And I think it really proves just how attached Ellie is to Sandy, you know, just being with her, you know, through her dreams and everything like that. It's like when you're reading a book and you become so attached to a character and something bad happens and then you're just in a sad mood for like the rest of the week. Um, but yeah, like you said, the same thing starts happening, even though Ellie was kind of thriving for a little bit now. Um, and this is kind of where, you know, we're thinking how stable is she mentally because she starts basically being haunted by these apparitions of men that she sees. And we're kind of, it's it made pretty clear that it's the men that uh, Sandy had to encounter in, in Ellie's dreams. And I mean, if that was happening to me, I, I don't even know what I would do. It's absolutely terrifying. Um, not necessarily scary to watch, but if you're, you know, thinking from Ellie's point of view, it's really scary. And it starts to really, really affect her so much so that it's, even when she starts to try to have a social life, she literally cannot. Yeah, uh, and that kind of comes to a head at the, at a uh, Halloween party that she goes to uh, with uh, John, um, who is starting to yes. make his romantic in- interests known uh, in Ellie. Um, and yeah, I love the special effects and these horror elements that start to come out in the real world mm-hmm. that Edgar Wright did. Um, <clears throat> you know, they're not overly scary, yeah. but they're definitely haunting. Um, mm-hmm. And you can see the effect that they have on Ellie's character. I think Thomas and McKenzie does a great job at portraying that. Yeah. Um, but um, while that's going on, you know, you can see she's starting to kind of mentally break down in the real world. She's having a hard time deciphering what is real from not real. Um, yeah. And to be fair, the viewers are as well. You know, M- me particularly, I'm like, okay, is she seeing ghosts or is she, you know, is her mental health rapidly declining? I'm unsure of what's going on. Um, yeah. So. You know, you can definitely kind of put yourself in her shoes and see what's going on. Uh, but it is a little confusing for the overall plot and where these mm-hmm. plot holes start to, to come out even more. Um, but, yeah, you know, it ends up uh, with John uh, and Ellie kind of having a big romantic moment. Um, Ellie takes John back to her, her apartment. Um, and while we're there, um, this is like the big uh, yeah. moment in the movie where... Everything turns itself on its head, and the the final half kicks off. Um, mm-hmm. Where, uh, like, first of all, the big rule Miss Collins explains is no boys after eight. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Eight o'clock. Um, yeah. And Ellie, 
who's now this 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 big rule breaker. <laughs> she brings John home, um, and while they are uh, hooking up together, um, Ellie starts to have another kind of vision um, of uh, you know men in the room with Sandy because obviously same place, mm-hmm. um, and we again are you know. Uh, it's kind of like Nightmare on Elm Street a little bit with this, where it's like, well, the reboot, I should say, mm-hmm. um, where it's like, okay, the the dream world is starting to seep into the real world. Yeah. Um, and you don't know what's kind of real or not, and I don't really like that about the reboot, but yeah. anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, because this is the first time, I mean, Ellie was seeing the apparitions, but this is the first time she's seeing Sandy not asleep like she's very coherent she was drinking but she's coherent right so again these plot holes more or less but um what she ends up seeing uh is jack uh in the room with sandy um and jack uh appears to kill her um very bloody very gory um and it freaks ellie out because she's there like stop it, you're hurting, like, you know, get off of her, and she's yeah. trying to save Sandy, but in reality, she's, you know, freaking out, and John is just standing and, there yeah. like, what do I do? What is going on? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that leads to uh, Miss Collins coming upstairs, being like, get out of here, and yeah. I'm like, okay, is John about to get framed for, like, what is going on here with Murder this? Murder or something, yeah. Yeah, very, very confused, um, mm-hmm. but... Um, at this point, Ellie's like, okay, cool. This is now a murder mystery, essentially. Yeah. And she's out to find out who killed uh, this woman that she's become so connected to in her dreams. Yeah. And while, you know, this is a, a good point in the story because she is, you know, in she's now in reality thinking this was a real woman. Let me try to figure out who did it. But she is not all mentally there because she's still seeing the apparitions of men. She saw this murder take place in real life essentially even though it wasn't and so you know she tries to go to the cops they don't believe her it sounds like a ridiculous story so i understand and then she goes to the library to try to do research but she doesn't get too far um just because she starts seeing the apparitions again but she does see something interesting she's trying to find sandy or anything about you know a murdered woman but all she can really find in that time period were uh multiple men who just like just mysteriously disappeared so in that moment you're kind of like all right irrelevant you know let's keep going and ellie basically has like a mental break because she almost stabs um what's her face jocasta Jocasta. yeah and uh i felt so bad this is always i feel like this happens in almost every horror movie where the protagonist has something no one else believes and they go crazy over it and then have this whole big scene where now no one trusts her, her credibility. So, you know, something like this, I think, was inevitable. She doesn't stab her. She almost does. Yeah, the yeah the, the horror tropes are coming out in full yeah. here, um, especially like the cop scene. <laughs> just yeah. like there was a girl and it's like and this poor just like clearly just not OK. Ellie who's like this girl, Sandy was killed by this guy jack in my bedroom 50 years ago yeah or 60 however long whenever the movie is exactly taking place mm-hmm. and the cops are like okay so you okay so all you got is a first name of both people <laughs> and a place but like are you like is everything okay mm-hmm. and you know one of the cops like tries to like get her help to see somebody and talk about it and stuff like that but it's clearly not the help that she's looking for. She's looking help tracking down Jack, who killed mm-hmm. Sandy. Um, but I love this, the library scene that you're talking about, mm-hmm. because she's very much running away from the apparitions, and, and the, the, the sense of reality is melting away around her. Yeah. With these it's apparitions. Very, yeah. It, it's, I love the editing. Yeah. And the it looks very good. <laughs> right. And then she, at, at one point, you know, I'm thinking this as it's happening. She's like, I've had enough. Screw this. And she grabs the pair of scissors and I'm like, oh, no, she's going to kill somebody. I thought she was going to, for sure. Yeah. And then, like you mentioned, she goes to stab somebody. But John catches her hand as a pair of scissors is about to be driven into Jocasta's <laughs> face, which I thought was really cool. Um, yeah. And, you know, Ellie's a very complex character overall. Yeah. 
And Thompson McKenzie, again, does a great job with the emotions in this scene between snapping back and from reality, mm-hmm. which I really, really love. And Jocasta is just like, you crazy? Like, what are you doing? And John's like, it was a mistake. It was an accident. Uh, like, yeah. I mean, she didn't mean to do it. And I'm like, John, like, John, you're trying your best, but like, just, just, you got to get out of there, dude. You got to run. Yeah. Oh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Ellie is such, such a great character because she's so innocent. Like, you really, really feel bad for her, but she's so smart. Like, she's not stupid at all. She's just very innocent. Um, and I think a really, really good part too, even though I do think now that we're talking about it by the end of this, there's just so many storylines going on when it didn't have to be that complicated because we have to figure out Lindsay, the whole situation with Lindsay, this older man who Ellie thinks is Jack. She has a whole confrontation with him at the bar. And this is when I don't think it was stupid because he turns out to not actually be threatening, but she's very brave here and basically goes after him and says, you know, you killed Sandy, you killed Sandy because she thinks he's Jack. And he's just like, no, I didn't. Like, I didn't kill her. And he walks out of the pub and gets hit by a car. And it's like, okay, well, I hope it wasn't, or like, I hope it was Jack at this point because this guy's not okay. And kind of in honestly like in passing when people are coming out to see what happened someone's like oh yeah you know tell them he's an ex-cop when you call the ambulance and this is when the viewers and ellie are like oh shit that was not jack yeah not only was that not jack that was the cop who was trying to save sandy from the dream sequences as well um and yeah i like it is like it's very messed up in terms of everything with like her trying to take justice into her own hands yeah. But I do like her character here a lot as well because yeah. again, she's not stupid. And we've yeah. talked multiple times on this podcast about how we hate stupid characters and when they do stupid things. Yeah, especially um, protagonists. Right. And Ellie's like, "Okay, like yes, she's wrong in her belief that this mysterious man Lindsay is Jack, like hiding mm-hmm. his true uh uh, yeah, exactly. I almost said religion. <laughs> <laughs> Midnight Mass. Um, but, um, you know, she, like, goes behind the bar. She sneakily, like, turns her phone on and starts recording it and stuff yeah. like that. And what she ends up, you know, again, aiding in the rapidly declining uh, state of her mental health, she pretty much pushes him into the car like he's yeah. like i've had enough of this i'm going upstairs and i'm leaving and he's like i'm recording you you come back here you killed sandy and he's like i didn't do any of that and then yeah. wham car flattened on the pavement um and the 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 owners of the pub are like no that was just an ex-cop he was a really good guy <laughs> and i'm like okay yeah. like dan that couldn't have been explained like five minutes earlier huh <laughs> I know, exactly, I know, yeah, so I really like this part, but yeah, now that we're getting into, and then we have kind of the the big ending reveal, it is kind of a lot of things that are happening all at once, um, so let's take our final break, and let's get into the big final reveal, and talk about what we liked and didn't like about it, all right, so this is what I'm calling ending part one. Um, Ellie, after everything that's happened, is basically like, I'm leaving London. It's not for me. My grandma was right. Like, I can't do this. And John is so nice and is like, okay, I'll drive you. Um, so she has to go tell Miss Collins the whole thing was, too, that she promised she wouldn't leave unexpectedly or without notice, leaving Miss Collins having to, you know, find a new tenant. But she goes and she's like, I'm so sorry. I have to leave. Um, and... There's like an eerie vibe going on. Like it's it's very weird. And how like how early on did you figure out the twist? Um at this point I think I had it nailed down. Yeah. Um but I still gave myself to be like, Oh my god. Um, but like <laughs> It was creeping up, I feel like. Yeah, definitely. Um and that's uh, you know, credit to Diana Rigg. And yeah. the great uh, actress that she was, um, but I, I also love that it's just like uh, you know she <laughs> established these ground rules very early on, and was mm-hmm. like like one of them was no boys after a certain hour, and the other one is don't leave like you can't yeah. leave if you move in here because people leave all the time. 
Mm-hmm. And very quickly, she's like, well, I brought a boy home, and now I'm leaving. Yeah. So, yeah, the big twist. What is the big twist, Natalie? The big twist is that Miss Collins is actually Sandy. Wow. Dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, I mean, it definitely uh, was foreshadowed and alluded to a little bit. Um, but I think some people might not see it coming. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, it wasn't made obvious, I don't think, until kind of this scene. Like, I had, I mean, I had no idea up until this scene. Yeah, and I like that uh, they do this reveal so quickly after Lindsay's false reveal. Mm-hmm. Um, because, again, it just com- it continues to add to the ridiculous journey that Eloise is on. <laughs> She's like, yeah. okay, cool, I figured it out. No, I didn't. Oops. Uh, a big oops. And yeah. then, uh, oh, so the woman that I've... Like idol, I say idolized because it's yeah. it's not healthy in some sense, um, and idolization um, is you know at times not healthy yeah. um, when taken to extreme measures. And she's like, "Oh wow, I found this woman. She's been right in front of me this entire time." Yeah. Um, and I was like, "Oh great! Like happy ending, maybe." Yeah. <laughs> I know. I had no idea where it was going to go from here. I didn't know it was going to turn this dark. Um, So another reveal we get is that Sandy was the one who killed Jack. And she actually had killed multiple men that she was basically, like, sold out to. um, The ones that kind of abused her in the room Ellie was staying in. So she's killed all these men. And the bodies are just hidden in the floorboard and the walls. Which I was like, what? That's not... How did you do that? Yeah, it's a lot of bodies. Um, yeah. And also, this is like one of the biggest plot holes because, you know, everything that Ellie has been seeing, we've been kind of told to believe is true. And she's seeing visions of Sandy, especially when it's revealed that Sandy was a real person because Sandy mm-hmm. is, is alive in front of her. Yeah. Um, but what's confusing to us is like, okay, we're shown that all of these men had come back to Sandy's place and, and slept with her against her will, more or less, uh, yeah. her consent, because uh, Jack was pimping her out. Um, and we saw her death. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how was everything true up until that point? But yeah, then she sees the wrong... Consistent. She doesn't see the the actual thing that happened. And obviously you can't reveal like that. Like, you could, and the story would have to take a completely different turn in the ending. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've essentially killed Sandy, but Sandy's not dead. And then also calls into question the idea of seeing ghosts and what that all means. Because how can you see a ghost if the person's alive? Yeah. That's a good question. But Yeah, I know. It, it, there are a lot of questions. There are things that definitely don't add up. and. I just, I also don't like how Miss Collins is kind of turned into the villain here. Yeah, this is really weird because, like, okay, she drugged Ellie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why? Um, it's it's really weird. Uh, it's definitely like Elena Tyrell type of vibes up in here. Yeah. Um, it's like, oh yeah, I was the one who killed Joffrey. Mm, oops, <laughs> you can tell Cersei that. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's really weird because this entire movie, up until this point, we're rooting for Sandy to yeah. get. Well, at first, to get this life that she wants of being a big star and performer, and then to get out of this life because she's being extremely mistreated um, by Jack. And then the reveal is that, no, I'm a mass murderer. Yeah. I've killed a ton of people. And it's like, okay, well, you know, the whole moral argument is like, well, she's being sold to these men by Jack. Right. Like, that's awful. And now how does the viewer balance that? Between also the fact that she's killed all of these men, and she's yeah. essentially a serial killer that yeah. has gone missing because we see all the reports of the news clippings of men just mysteriously disappearing without the headlines of terrible man disappears. It's just yeah. man disappears. Right. So it, right. yeah. how do you feel about all this? Because it definitely makes the viewer kind of confused. Yeah, it's just like... So it's obviously, I mean, a discussion for another time, just like morals and like, you know, is she right or wrong to kill someone who right. more or less, you know, sexually abused her. But I think like they tried to kind of frame Miss Collins in more of a lighter light just when Ellie has like a quick line of like, I understand why you did it kind of thing. And it's like, 
all right, I don't know. That was too quick of a, it, it wasn't, I don't think it was enough to kind of make up for the fact that, oh, there's a big twist. Now Sandy's the villain and she killed a bunch of people and maybe she's the crazy one and everything like that. I don't right. know. It was way too quick of a of a throwaway line to. I don't think it would make the viewer be like, "Oh yeah, well yeah, she had a point." Like, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, we're rooting for Sandy this entire time, and yeah. now we're, we're supposed to root against her. Um, yeah, especially with her drugging Ellie, seemingly with the intent to kill her, just so she doesn't tell anyone. Which, right. like, I don't, I. Ugh. Because Ellie was always on Sandy's side. Like, I feel like Miss Collins could confide in, in Ellie. And especially if she's like, well, these men mistreated me. So what else was I supposed to do? It's like, that's I'm, okay. You know, I'll buy it. Yeah. It's it's a lot for the viewer to unpack really early on. Uh, or very late. Very quickly. Very quickly. Yeah. So late into the movie. Um, and yeah, because like you mentioned... She drugs her. She's like, okay, cool. I understand. Like, I got it. And Sandy's like, nah, you got to die. <laughs> it's like, you, you got to go. Yeah. Like, I can't risk this. Um, you got you to gotta be in the floorboards with the ghosts. Um, which, you know, again, leads to the whole plot hole of what can she see? What is she seeing? What can't she see? What isn't she seeing? All of yeah. those, all of those questions are, are, are brought up. Um, and you know, maybe she's seen visions of the, of the dead men. That's a possibility. Um, mm -hmm. but again, it wouldn't really kind of connect us into Sandy's story because a lot of these men aren't brought into her picture until Jack starts to be an asshole. Yeah. Um, so that's a question, but anyway, you know, we can get into some of those later on. Um, but yeah, so she goes to poison her. Um, and she tells John to wait outside, be like, hey, John, like, if I'm not back in 15 minutes, like, you should probably try to come save me, uh, from mm -hmm. a crazy lady who's trying <laughs> to poison me. Um, yes. yeah, he breaks in, uh, there's a bit of a, a, a scuffle, a kerfuffle, uh, that breaks <laughs> out. And, um, this, uh, by far, um, is the most confusing part of the movie, but visually the most stunning part of the movie for mm -hmm. me, um, because as reality starts to, again, melt away around her um you know these ghosts all start to break through the floorboards and attack her in mm -hmm. a and it's it's again if you like edgar wright you're gonna like this because it's yeah it's visually just so stimulating um and she these arms and these these aberrations or or whatever are breaking through the the floorboards grabbing her you know doing something and they all just kind of corner her on the bed, and she's freaking out. And then it turns out that the ghosts aren't trying to get her, but the ghosts are trying to say, please help us kill her, because mm -hmm. she killed all of us. And again, it's another moral quandary that the viewer is thrown into yeah. so like, late in the movie. Yeah, I want to feel bad for these guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, so you like you sexually abused this woman, and you're dead. and Now you're making her the villain. Right, it's very weird. Um, yeah, to do this so like late that. in the movie, um, and like there's this whole big thing where they're all just like, "Help us, we're dead," <laughs> uh, and then Jack is like, "Sandy, we're here for you," <laughs> like very much like that. Apologize for my terrible accent <laughs> impersonation, but um, you know he goes to like slice her with a knife, mm -hmm. and it's 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 so weird. Like you at this point, you're just kind of like. It's like your two best friends are fighting and you're staring at them. And you're like, I don't know who is right and who is wrong. <laughs> yeah, it is very confusing. And, and it's pretty quick, too, just because um, there was uh, something like her, the ashtray fell or something like that earlier on. And now there's kind of a fire coming up. And so it's like, all right, well, we have to finish this one way or another. We got to get out of here. And isn't it um, she, uh, LEC Sandy? One more time, right? And Sandy tells her to to leave. Yeah, yeah, she um, like the Sandy, the apparition Sandy, not the Miss Collins Sandy. Right, right, right. Anya Taylor Joy <laughs> Sandy. Um, yeah, and yeah, so um, you know that ends with her. You know, um, the police show up because, of course, they would. There's a fire outside, uh, yeah. a, a, or inside, a really big fire at this point. Yeah, um, and John kind of stabbed kind of dying bleeding out <laughs> at the base of the steps in the uh, mm -hmm. in the building um and sandy's just like yeah like leave 
Um, she goes to like slit her own throat. Ellie stops her, um, who tells her that she understands why she kills the men. Um, and then, um, yeah, she lets Ellie go after poisoning her. So I guess that wasn't that good of a poison. That was also weird to me as well. Maybe it was just to like knock her out. I don't really know. I, I don't know. But, you know, you would assume that a serial killer who's killed a ton of men would know how to make good poison. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but, uh, yeah, the, the fire happens. You know, we assume Sandy burns in, in the building and she dies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we get a flash forward. Uh, John is still alive, thankfully. Um, and she, um, she as an Ellie, uh, has gotten her life back together. Uh, she is now this big, uh, I think she's still a student at this point, but yeah, I think it was like a school fashion show, but it was still like a big deal. Yeah. Her, her work is on display. Um, and she's enjoying the successes of, of all the talents that she has and her grandmother's there to see, uh, and, and John is there. And then in the back, um, at the, as the movie's ending, uh, Ellie sees her mother once again in the mirror um, and a version of Sandy uh, blowing mm-hmm. her a kiss, which, again, just it's plot, hole, plot yeah. holes. It's just plot holes up until like it's just kind of like they, they wrote like 80 minutes of really good screenplay and dialogue. Yeah. And then they were just kind of like, how do we finish this? And they were like, why don't we just throw a bunch of stuff at the screen and then make it really confusing for people? <laughs> Yeah, the ending, like, ending part one, ending part two, it just seemed very cheap and, like, written in, like, a day sort of thing. Of Like, oh, this, this like, um, plot twist would be cool, but also this plot twist, but also this, and just throw it all together, and that's it. Totally yeah. Lazy. Yeah, it's, it's upsetting um, that it kind of ends this way, because I think the first half of the movie is so strong yeah. in doing everything that it, it needs to do. And there are things in the ending that I like a lot and how the whole second arc kind of plays out. But um, it's definitely sloppy towards the end, which is upsetting. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, all of the themes that they kind of throw at you in a very quick 20-minute span that you're left to kind of decipher there. And maybe that's, you know, obviously you can't decipher all of those crazy things in 20 minutes as the movie is starting to end. So you have to think about it. Mm-hmm. But... You know, not speaking for anybody, but my personal experiences. When I start to think too much about a movie, that's when the, that's when things start to fall in on itself. Yeah. Like, I like uh, not to drag this review on any longer, but um, when I saw Star Wars: The Last Jedi, I left and I was like, "That was pretty good." And then I texted my best friend. I was like, "Yeah, that movie was okay." And he was like, yeah. "Really? You thought that movie was good?" And I was like, <laughs> "Oh no! Like, what are you about to tell me?" Yeah, it's like I don't want to think about it anymore. I'll overthink it, overanalyze it, and it just won't make any sense. Yeah, but that movie's also awful. So yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, that is Last Night in Soho. Um, definitely better than Halloween Kills. Yes. No. I. I mean, I thoroughly enjoyed this. I just didn't like the ending. But yeah. other than that, I did really like it. Yeah. So what would you give it out of ten? Seven. I don't I, want to say six. I think that's too unfair. Yeah, seven. I agree with you. I think a seven as well. I think if the movie wraps itself up cleanly towards the end, this is an eight, or yeah. maybe maybe an eight point five or maybe nine. Maybe a nine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think a seven is a fair grade from both of us. Definitely worth watching. Um, yeah. You know, if you want to rent it or wait for it to be free on streaming, um, we would recommend it. Um, and uh, and yeah, before you uh, you can sign us off. Um, I have to mention that at the Ice Nine Kills concert, I totally forgot this. Um, While we were waiting for Ice Nine to come on, uh, there was a large uh, constituent of people in the back of the the floor um, who all started chanting, Evil Dies Tonight. (laughs) And I was just cracking up. They didn't do it long enough. I know. They they didn't do it long enough for me to like get it on like Snapchat or like a video for you to see. But all I heard was, Evil Dies Tonight. And I was like, I was like, who are you? I love you. <laughs> That's amazing. So good. Um, but yeah. I'm going to go listen to Downtown. Yeah, I know, right? That was so good. Yeah, there are there are so many, honestly, multiple really great moments in this. Just some things that we have issues with. And, you know, the ending. It could, it could have been completely rewritten for something better. Yeah. All the visuals, though, fantastic, as you would expect from an Edgar Wright movie. Um mm-hmm. It's not my favorite. It hasn't dethroned Scott Pilgrim or Shaun no. of the Dead or Hot Fuzz. Uh, but I, 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 
I think people might like disagree with us, but I think we both enjoyed it more than Baby Driver. Yes, a hundred percent. I just didn't like that movie. <laughs> yeah, and I, I, I hope he, uh, I hope he does more horror. Like, Me too. I think this was a good like first start of it because I mean, Shaun of the Dead isn't horror. Is yeah, it's definitely a comedy. Yeah, um, <laughs> dancing around a pub to "Don't Stop Me Now," bashing a zombie with like cricket paddles and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, like the elements that he put in, with especially a lot of the psychological elements. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, yeah, were unique, and this movie feels a lot like *Malignant* in some aspects. It mm-hmm. just doesn't have the whole big. Oh, by the way, the monster's living in the back of this woman's head the entire time. <laughs> yeah. For sure, but yeah, I'm glad that you enjoyed it. it. Like I told you before you watched it, I was like, yeah, it was good. Not great, it was good though. So I'm glad we were kind of on the same page there about that. And yeah, anyone listening, let us know what you think of Last Night in Soho, if you loved it, if you hated it. I've been saying, seeing different things online about it, so it's definitely divisive um, as of right now. So definitely let us know. You can tweet at us. My at is at Natalie Zamora with two A's at the end. And then Max is at Odd Slice. And keep listening to us. We'll be back in two weeks' time. Um, We'll see what we're going to do. Maybe something for the holidays. Maybe not. Maybe another review. But it'll definitely be a fun one. So keep up with us, and we'll see you next time. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.